Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today we're going to be tackling a listener question. Sort of. (laughs) (laughs) Tiffany in Rome, Katie in Seattle. And uh, this is an email from Carolyn. And I'm just going to go ahead and read it and then we're going to go far askance from there. So she says, thanks for having such an amazing podcast. I've been a big fan and have been listening to you guys weekly since the beginning of the pandemic. Those long days were tough, but it was always refreshing to hear your stories and talks about Italy each week to get me through it. I love Italy so much, and I was hoping you could help me out with a podcast talk on an idea I had. I'm currently having artist block. I'm an aspiring artist in the States, and I was thinking maybe for a podcast idea, you could go through the regions of Italy and the main flowers that are grown there, or official flowers of each region. I'm not sure what to illustrate next as an artist, and I'm getting tired of sketching beaches, food, and drinks all across Europe. I'm almost looking to you guys for inspiration. I honestly can't seem to find any good sources on this question. We all know what types of pasta, meat, cheese, spice that comes from each region, but I'm trying to find more about the natural beauty of Mother Earth in Italy with flowers and looking for help. A humble artist learning from another, Carolyn. Mm. So Carolyn, of course, I wrote you back and I said, um, we might have to widen this request out so that it applies to more people. But also because, Tiffany, you're no flower expert. <laughs> How Sadly, much no. do you know about the flowers of Italy? I know which flowers are commonly seen in the city of Rome growing around. Mm-hmm. And and more or less when they grow. Okay. Um, and that's... I, because I googled it, I know the official flower <laughs> of Rome, Florence... And the country of Italy, and shocker, it's the same flower. Yeah. You want to guess which one it is, Katie? <laughs> I, I could guess what it is without even Googling it, because it's the only flower that's used symbolically everywhere in Italy, which would be the lily, the yes. Fleur de Lis, the Virgin Mary. Yes. I do like yes, that so- there is not that need for individuality across the country, where everyone's like, you know what? I'm going to make a city flower. Let's see. It's got to be the Florida Lee. It's got to be the lily, right? And Rome is like, same here. <laughs> <You know? laughs> I mean, I did not Google more than just those um, those two cities and Italy as a whole. So I, you know, I don't know. Maybe Venice has a different official flower. Maybe Milan does as well. I, I would assume that there's, somebody's got to have come up with a different flower. I hope. Maybe, maybe but, not. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the lily, as you know, where represents the Virgin Mary and Virgin Mary is a big, big figure over here. Yes. Uh, she's super popular. <laughs> and, uh, and so I guess that must be the reason. Yeah. I mean, that's basically, I guess, the limit of our knowledge that we can pass on yeah. to Carolyn well, no, when it comes I to mean, flowers itself. That's, a, that's the limit to, of our knowledge for as official flowers um i'm sure google can help you out uh if you want more details but i like i said i i there are certain flowers that i look for every year okay and i love probably the biggest one that for me is connected to one specific month is the wisteria Mm -hmm. which is april in rome and they are incredible and i mean it's not just rome they're all over florence i'm sure they're all over other parts of italy 
And you can find them, of course, around the world. But I believe in Seattle, they bloom a little bit later. And I think in Japan as well, they bloom later. But in Rome, they bloom in April. And they're just, if you don't know what wisteria is, it's this absolute sort of explosion of little tiny kind of like bluebells but they're lavender and they just cascade down and you'll you can see them a lot on the Geniculum hill you can see them right outside of the uh the capitoline hill like on the on the slope of the capitoline hill and they're gorgeous and there's sort of an instagram hashtag Hmm. called wisteria hysteria (laughs) <laughs> which pops up every April. And I see, I'm sure it's a worldwide thing, but it's definitely big for the Italy bloggers that I follow and the Italy influencers who mm. post the most beautiful pictures of Italy and the wisteria over here every April. So those are gorgeous. And I desperately want a wisteria plant on my balcony because I have a pretty, pretty decent sized balcony. You know, it has a couple of brick walls that would very easily lend themselves to a climbing ground for a plant like that. But unfortunately, it gets almost no sun until the height of summer. And so, you know, we could grow a plant like that, but it probably wouldn't bloom, which would just be so depressing that I haven't even tried. Yeah. And it's also, I mean, wisteria can become a pretty sturdy and serious plant. It It, can. It it turns into a tree that winds itself around whatever it can get its hands on. And so... You plant some wisteria, uh, you know, by your front porch, and pretty soon it might be weaving through your gutters or your, you know, <laughs> like it's going to cling on and cling on hard. And, and so mm-hmm. that would be another danger, I suppose, in, as to putting it on your deck. When you live in a shared mm-hmm. condo building, the wisteria right. could be up in your neighbor's place in like a few short years. Yes. Well, if I were on the other side, probably. On my side, unfortunately, facing northwest i don't think it would be a problem another flower the one one we actually tried which blooms a bit later is jasmine mm-hmm. and jasmine is kind of like the herald of summer i feel in mm-hmm. italy and you'll see you know there's huge the bushes the jasmine bushes that you know everybody plants along there you know like a hedge basically you can almost make jasmine into a hedge if you've got some kind of fence there and I think unlike wisteria, it's a little bit easier to control because I see my neighbors, the ones who have the better, you know, exposition, they have, you know, it's like perfectly manicured hedges of jasmine and it's just lush and green all through the spring. And then towards the end of May, you start to see the little tiny white buds appear and you know that summer is coming. And, um, you know, by, by full June, you've got these just white just sea of white and the smell is incredible. And so, yeah, we did plant a a jasmine plant on our balcony and it lived for about two years. The first year was great. It wasn't huge. It was small, but it bloomed and it was growing and I was watching its progress and I could see it just like every couple of days, it would be further and further along over our our huge window in the living room. And the next year, it just had fewer buds on it. And then by the third year, it was officially dead Mm -hmm. uh, because we just don't get enough sun, which was really, really sad for me. Um, We eventually threw it away. (laughs) But so that's one. And then another spring, another creeping plant, which I'm sure, Katie, that you have admired on your many trips to Rome, is the bougainvillea, Mm. which is another just spectacular plant, which blooms mainly in May 
and it's just you know fuchsia petals it really looks more like the leaves of the plant turn fuchsia as opposed to buds of flowers so mm -hmm. i'm not sure i'm not a botanist so i don't know if they're actual buds or if it's the leaves changing color but um those are also spectacular and beautiful when they're right on top of like a doorway and they're just exploding and yes. another one of the things that i wish i had but I don't. <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's actually a plant that I associate more with Southeast Asia than I do with Rome, honestly, because ah. that's, I guess, where I saw it first. Okay. You know, it's an interesting thing. It's always hard to discuss flowers because they always have these big names, you know? And so if I say something like, on my back porch right now, Tiffany, I have the most amazing magenta-colored geranium that you can imagine. If you don't know what a geranium is, you can't imagine it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like without Luckily, Googling I do. It. Luckily, I do. do. Geraniums were like the go-to plant that my mom always had on our deck when I was growing up. Always had geraniums. And I know they have sticky stalks. They have sticky stems. So I always hated taking care of them because they make my hands all <laughs> sticky. Yeah. But you know what I mean, though, as far as... Uh, Yes, is, I get your, I do get your point. Yes, it is one of those harder things. Back when I used to do a daily radio show on NPR, we had one segment a week. And I believe you me, I tried to cut this segment down to not being every single week, but the host of the show really loved this segment. And it was a segment about gardening. And it was a very popular segment with a small group of people. They were <laughs> loyal to the hilt. Uh, they tuned in every Tuesday at 10 o'clock and they listened to the entire hour. Because in radio, you used to, I don't know if you still do, but you used to get these charts so that you could see how many people were listening at any given time. And on the Tuesday gardening hour, the numbers would plummet. <laughs> <laughs> but they were steady. But they were steady across the hour and every other hour across the week was not that way. Like it, there would be high points and low points, you know, people coming in and leaving. The gardening people stayed the whole time. But the biggest problem was <laughs> for me at that time who was a, a, an apartment renter, didn't have a garden, didn't have access to doing any kind of gardening at all. It's all these big words about this plant, this plant, this plant, this plant. And if you're not doing anything with it, you just, it's just like an hour of nonsense, you know, <laughs> <laughs> where every now and then you'd pick up something that you could actually use in your day to day. But it just felt like talk that was just gibberish to me. And so eventually I redid the panel of people who were on the show because it used to just be one guy who was a master gardener he was a genius like he knew exactly what he was talking about and instead I broke it up so uh, that I had three people on instead one of whom was as much a specialist in cooking what you could grow as growing stuff itself so at least if you couldn't grow anything and you knew how to cook this woman had something to offer you know and then mm -hmm. I had a guy that was just good about native plants. So if you were taking a walk in the neighborhood, you could start to identify like what were the things that were naturally growing in Washington state, stuff like that. Even so, it was a difficult hour <laughs> for me to, for me to get through. Now I would actually probably find some of the information useful. But another thing with this request is that when I think about Rome, when I think about Italy, I don't necessarily think about flowers, like beyond the lily beyond the plants you already mentioned which are definitely prominent and noteworthy i don't think of it being a place that's full of flowers i think of it being as a place that's full of 
pine trees. I think of it as green fields. I think of it as like hedges, certainly. Uh, but I don't think of flowers as a defining characteristic of Italy. Hmm. Well, um, you should pick up The Enchanted April by Elizabeth von Arnhem. Amazing book. Amazing. Uh, I read it last April and I had bought it and was holding on to it to read during the month of April. And it's such a wonderful book. You may have seen the movie, uh, which came out in 91, which was also excellent. But the book is even better. But what I, one of the things, one of the many things I love about this book is the, her description of flowers because uh, it takes place on the Ligurian coast somewhere, basically in the Italian Riviera where you were last year, was it? Was it only last year recovering from COVID? Yes. Um, somewhere in that area, it takes place in a castle that uh, has been rented out to these four English ladies. And the description of the flowers are so wonderful not just because she describes them in a beautiful way, but because she describes the changes that occur during the month of April and how certain flowers are out at the beginning of April, and then they disappear to be replaced by these other flowers, and then they're in turn replaced by another set of flowers. And it really gave me this sense of like, time is fleeting, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the wisteria period is so short. If you blink, you're going to miss it. But on the other hand, it's replaced by something equally beautiful. And so just the sense of like the moments of life, the the seasons of life are fleeting, but they're all to be enjoyed for their own specific what they offer. I mean, that's just what I got from it. She doesn't really make that inference, but I got that from it as one of the many things I got from that book. But it really is a beautiful, it's a beautiful image of mm. these flowers growing on the coast of Italy at the edge of this castle in the month of April. Nice. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that in Rome, probably, you're not going to get as many flowers as in the countryside, you know. I think now that I'm sort of thinking about it, I'm thinking of more and more flowers. I'm thinking of the aqueduct park where every May the grass, the tall grass in the aqueduct park just turns red with poppies. It's such an amazing sight. And again, it lasts for such a short period of time. And it's so picturesque and so beautiful if you happen to time it to be there. So let's widen the discussion out a bit to, I mean, what she's really saying is that here she is an artist and she's come upon a moment of what she calls artist block, where you want to paint something, but you just don't know what you want to paint or, you know, want to draw something. I don't know what kind of an artist you are, Carolyn, but that you're searching around for something to do and sometimes it's hard to figure out like what to latch on to. And I, I have a, an artist friend actually who had this very experience like a number of years ago. And she was she's an established artist. It's what she does for a living. And she was known for painting, and I think still is known for painting, frankly, uh, pictures of tango dancers, which makes sense as a um, a topic because it's romantic, it can be colorful, it has movement in it. A lot of people like to dance, even if you don't like to dance, looking at images of dancers can be sort of romantic and fantastical and inspiring. And so that's what she became very much known for. And she herself is a tango dancer. And so she has experience with what positions would be bright. Mm -hmm. uh, and she would often paint from photography. That was sort of her main thing. So she was also a photographer, even though she never sells any of her photography. She goes out, she doesn't look up images online or 
pull them from her imagination. She goes to dances and she takes photographs of dancers and then selects out the images that she wants to put into a painting together. But anyway, all that is to say, and that's an idea too, if you're an artist, maybe go take some pictures and see if you can come up with anything to draw. But she was getting tired of always painting the same thing, as you would imagine. And she was definitely stuck for a while until one night she was having this dinner party out on her back deck. And as everyone's kind of getting up to leave or go inside as it gets cold, she looks back at the dinner table and sees kind of the beautiful mess that is the leftovers of a dinner party. Half drink, wine, the, t- the flowers starting to wilt, the silverware everywhere, the fluffed up napkins. And she took a photo of it. And now she does these beautiful pictures of tables. Some of them are pristine mm. as if the party hasn't arrived yet. Some are kind of the aftermath. Sometimes she'll take a picture of people at the party and create it as a, if it's mid-social uh, gathering. And those two have the same kind of like life and charge and beauty to them, but it's a totally different subject matter. That's interesting. Yeah, I can totally see that, how that would be sort of a beautiful still life of the, the ruins of a great meal. Yeah. Um, and how that would have seen... fit in your house, you know, like why people would want to buy that. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that. I can totally see that. I follow the artist Coralie Bickford Smith on Instagram and she is responsible for, she is the designer of the covers of the Penguin cloth bound collection oh, which yes. is if you remember the pride and prejudice book that we did for a giveaway last year that is one of the books from that collection it's a huge collection there are something like 80 or 90 books in the collection and then she uh, has now done a miniature collection of short story books or short novellas which are smaller in size whole different line of covers another 50 or so titles but i follow her because I love it when she posts pictures of her books because they're so beautiful and I collect them myself. But also because um, I noticed that she she posts pictures. I mean, I have no idea if she gets inspiration from this or not. She doesn't post very often, but she often posts pictures of like her sneakers as she's going out on a nature walk and her sneakers and she's next to some kind of flower or next to some kind of other plant life. And I always wonder because a lot, not all, but a lot of her books feature some kind of plant life on the cover. I wonder does she go out on her nature walks looking for inspiration for her cover designs? Mm-hmm. I assume that she does, but uh, that's always something I've kind of mused about in my head without uh, knowing the answer. I mean, that's another thing I would say is that it is one thing to look to Italy for inspiration if you're an artist working the, in the United States. But equally so, rather than having to Google stuff and look up flowers in Italy, you could go out your door. Like, you know that I used to really like, and I, and if anybody listening would like to do this and send us a picture of this, I would love it. You know that I used to like to take walks and I would pick up different things I would find along the way, little seed pods, or yeah. like little parts of flowers that I find on the sidewalk or pine cones or, you know, whatever, bits of tree branch, things that were in different shapes. Every time I would walk, I would pick up more things along the way. And then when I had enough things, I would just lay out a cloth, like a white cloth, like a handkerchief size. And I would try to put them into a design that was like somehow satisfying to look at and just look at it. And I would just leave it there for like a week. And then I would go up outside and just 
fluff the handkerchief into the wind and everything would fly back out into the world. And but those kind of designs became not only because they they isolated like particular objects that were fleeting and that you might not notice otherwise, but it became a thing where when when friends would come over, they would look for where's the handkerchief with the things on it and mm -hmm. and look at it because it was like kind of a revolving art project, an impermanent very impermanent art project, which in some cases are the best. They come and they go. They're fleeting. I would love to see what people came up with. I mean, you you know, Tiffany and I went viral one time on this show, and that was for episode <laughs> number 50 we did about crows, which was based on a different project I did entirely about this little girl who feeds crows and gets gifts in return. All of you were like, hey, I just, I heard that story. Yeah, you did hear it. It was everywhere. And part of the reason why it was everywhere was because I took all the gifts that she received from crows and I employed the same artistic eye in laying small objects out together in some sort of a formation. And I took a picture of these crow gifts and that picture was what caught everybody's imagination. And I would argue if those gifts were just thrown on a table, it wouldn't have caught the traction that it did because yeah, right. it was a design. I bet if you were to Google right now crow gifts... It would be like the yeah. first picture that pops up. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to do it. Should I try it? That. Yeah. I was going to say, should you try it? Crow gifts. Yeah. Well, if you go past the sponsored ads, yes. It's, it's got a purple background. It's got a purple background. So that makes it very That's easy. How you're going to know. Yeah. To find it. But yeah, I mean, but that was, you know, just an artistic experiment on my behalf that became a thing briefly. <laughs> Actually, for years. There's an ongoing jokes occasionally I come across them because every few years or something that story goes viral again for some reason and and some of my favorite commenters are like isn't this girl like 18 years old by now I feel like I read she this when I was is. an elementary school student yeah she I'm, she's not yet but she's getting close yes <laughs> uh, so I guess that's what I would also encourage is like don't always look to a country that's not your own look to the mm -hmm. country that is your own as well because I bet you're surrounded by beautiful things that seen in the right light with the right artistic uh, skills would really catch people's eye. Neither of us are visual artists, of course, but we are all both writers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's the same for writers. We have to get our inspiration from somewhere. That's true. Um, where do you get your inspiration from as a general rule? Hmm. I mean, from life, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good place to start. I, I mean, I definitely get inspiration from reading other people's books good same books that kind of tickle the imagination or the vibe the feeling you want to feel when you're writing something I think reading is so important and I and I think living and putting yourself in different experiences is so important and really interrogating what you feel and why you feel it and if it represents anything even close to what you're trying to write about you know. Right. Do you feel like you get more inspiration from like a setting or from like a personal relationship or something like like character mm. or setting? Boy, that's tough. I mean, I think it starts with setting and then I think it becomes character. Don't you? It's so interesting. I mean, it's, for me, it's, it's hard to define because every project is so different, you know? Yeah, I think for me in my life so far, in my writing career so far, it's much more about setting for me because, you know, I'm so inspired by Rome and by Italian history and art 
that that lends itself a little bit more to setting. Mm-hmm. I remember, I think it was Nancy Pearl who said, um, there are like four doors when it comes, and she was talking about readers, but the same is true for writers. You know, like there are four doors and one of them is going to appeal more to you than the other doors as a reader. And one is setting, one is plot, plot. one is character, and one is language. Mm. And every book, obviously, every good book needs to have all of those things. But generally, one is dominating the others. Hmm. And I think for me, if I had to say for me, it's probably setting. See, I think sometimes for me, it's a, it's a notion or two, like a concept that I want to explore, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah, like it does. The notion of an idea, and then you try to figure out how it fits in the story. Or maybe mm-hmm. that's just an element. I don't know. Obviously, boy, when you talk about your own art, then it all gets muddled. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's very heady, very fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I do think, I mean, I've heard from a lot of writers, I've heard from a lot of artists that sometimes the best thing you can do is take a walk. Oh, absolutely. For me, that is how I... I've gotten so many ideas that way, even ideas that I've then not gone on to to do, but I have written in a book somewhere, you know, when I walk around Rome, it's like a treasure trove. It's like one of those packs of decks of cards that have like writing prompts on them. You know, it's like you just walk into the city of Rome and you see something and it is going to spark an idea. It's a gift. It's just, there's this little etching on the wall that are like what is this where did this come from who is this person who did this you know what what's their story mm-hmm. yeah i love that i've been reading do you know mary oliver the poet essayist she often writes about nature she died I don't recently think so. just a few mm. years ago she's highly quotable a lot of people quote her because she writes about nature and the natural world i recently bought one of her books just to have something short, short little poems or vignettes that I could read over breakfast so that I would actually get to work and not get stuck. Oh, I'll just finish this chapter or whatever, you know, like <laughs> something short so you can be like done and get to work instead of being like, oh, well, I'll just keep moving on. Anyway, so I bought one of her books and the guy that sold it to me said, ah, Mary Oliver, one of my friends says that her whole artistic career is built on walking to the end of the driveway. Which I thought was a great description because a lot of her stories really are contained. They're so contained within the world, like right around her home. Mm-hmm. It's not a bad description of, you know, how little it takes sometimes to find something that makes you contemplate bigger things. For sure. I love I love books that are, there's like a microcosm world, like a neighborhood if it's Agatha Christie, it's a little country village, like it's St. Mary Mead's, you know, mm-hmm. and you've got all these odd characters and their relationships and their foibles and stuff. And and sometimes it's, or it's like an, like an apartment building and it's, you know, like the bachelor who lives on the second floor and the old married couple on the third floor. And so I kind of love those stories. And then you can get, I mean, sometimes they're charming, feel good stories. And sometimes they're like thrillers and they're really horrible, but you know, <laughs> Either way, you can create so much just taking a group of odd people and sort of putting them in a close area together. Yeah. Seeing what happens. I love that. All right. Well, we'll leave it there for now. But uh, if you guys, if you listeners do end up going out on a walk and starting to collect little bits of natural detritus that you're seeing (laughs) around on the ground, 
feathers, rocks, so many cool things. Put them together in some kind of arrangement and uh, send us a picture. Bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's bittersweetlifepodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram and Facebook. We are still on Twitter, but Twitter's not called Twitter anymore, so I don't really know I was about that. I was actually thinking of asking you if we could get off Twitter. Stop. Get off that. <laughs> get off that train before it crashes. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be fine with that, personally. Uh, I never go on there anymore, except to see what Henry Winkler, the Fonz, is thinking about. Uh, <laughs> but yes, yeah, so you can find us in those places. Just search for the Bittersweet Life podcast and you will find us. But I would love to see what you would come up with. And uh, and it's kind of a fun little afternoon assignment to do something different, get out in the world, see what you can find, make an arrangement. And then for you, Carolyn, draw it. <laughs> <laughs> and until next time, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Support the show by wearing a Bittersweet Life t-shirt or socks. We have merch, and you might find your new favorite mug by visiting thebittersweetlife.net. Click on support to explore the merch catalog. And have fun. Have fun.